Well, good morning, Village Bible Church family. It is uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joe Denner. My family and I have been attending here at uh, Village Bible Church for about the last uh, six months. And it is my honor and privilege to uh, share God's Word with you this morning. So if you have not already, I would encourage you to open up to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1. So have any of you here ever served on jury duty? Anybody? Raise your hand up nice and high. Okay, anybody served on jury duty? Okay, well, I just uh, got this pleasant little thing in the mail the other day saying that I may have my first opportunity to serve on a jury. Now, any of you have raised your hands, how many of you have actually served uh, during a criminal case? Okay, all right, so we have a few hands raised high. So for those of you who are not familiar with that, a criminal case, in a criminal case, we all as citizens of this country have a right, a constitutional right, to a, to a trial by a jury of our peers. And so what does that jury do? What does a jury do? But a jury listens. A jury listens and a jury takes in. And what does it take in? It takes in... First of all, evidence that is being presented by an attorney or a set of attorneys. But most importantly, most importantly, a jury listens to the testimony of a witness. Jury listens to the testimony of a witness. And what does a witness do? A witness gives testimony that is evidence or support for and... Uh, about what they have seen and heard. Well, in our passage this morning, John's encounter with the Levites and the priests at the, at the river there beyond the Jordan in Bethany very closely resembles a set of lawyers questioning a witness. Now, before we dive into our text, I do want to make just a quick contextual comment. I want us to understand the historical setting of what's going on in this situation. As we begin the Gospel of John, our new series, we are looking at this opportunity for all of us to meet Jesus, get to know Jesus better, and to trust Jesus. But in this setting, historically speaking, as John shows up on the scene, according to our traditional understanding, it's been approximately four hundred years since God has said anything to the nation of Israel. So you can imagine the nation of Israel for 400 years has languished in waiting and in wondering and in hoping and probably even in a bit of despairing about whether or not this Messiah, this promised one, is really, truly going to come. Now you have to understand something. That was odd for the people of Israel, because for centuries prior to that, God had faithfully and consistently spoken to them through the prophets, all the way from Abraham to Moses to Samuel and all the way through Malachi. So as John bursts onto the scene in quite an unconventional way, as John bursts onto the scene, it catches the attention of the religious elites in Jerusalem. And so they send this envoy to find out what is going on, who is this guy, and what is happening. And that is exactly what we're going to look at here this morning. So first of all, we want to look at the testimony of John. 
That's really the title of this morning's message is the testimony of John. It comes right out of verse 19. But the first thing that we want to see is the testimony of John about himself. We want to see the testimony of John about himself. So first of all, which John are we talking about? We need to keep the characters in this narrative straight because in the first 18 verses of this gospel, it is John the Apostle, as Pastor Tim said last week, Jesus' best friend, who has been writing to us and telling us about his best friend. But now in verse 19, he transitions and he, John, begins talking about another John. And this John is the same John he referred to back in verse 6 when he said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we very commonly refer to this John as John the Baptist. And why do we do that? We do that because a large part of John's ministry was going about baptizing people with a baptism of repentance because he was calling them and preparing them for Jesus. And this is exactly what John has been doing. He's been baptizing, just like we saw in the very accurate film in some ways. Um, but then it is that very incident that precipitated the exchange that we're going to look at here this morning. So as we pick up the story in verse 19, we want to get a couple of facts straight. Let's be clear about who the players are here in this drama and understand what's going on. So first of all, we have John the Baptist, the one we just talked about. Not John the Apostle, the friend of Jesus, but John the Baptist, the one who came baptizing with a baptism of repentance. And John is being battered with questions. John is being beaten down and pelted with questions by a group. And who is that group? It's a group of priests and Levites, so that's kind of the clergy of that time in Israel, and they have been sent by whom? They've been sent by the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are referred to at first in verse 19 as the Jews. This was a very general reference to the leaders, to the spiritual elite of the day and of the nation. And these Pharisees are later identified in verse 24, and they were one of the groups, along with the Sadducees, who led in the religious matters of the things of Israel. And why were these guys sent? Well, they were there to figure out, why is this guy baptizing? Why is he doing this? And by the way, by what authority is he doing this? Because something that we're going to learn, if you haven't learned it already, is that the Pharisees have quite an authority complex. They have a real problem when they see anybody doing anything that is outside of the scope of what they believe ought to be done. And certainly we see that here in John chapter 1, and we're going to encounter this again and again as they begin to tussle with Jesus as we go through this gospel. But what really struck me what really struck me and is really at the heart of what I want to share with you this morning is that here is John, and John is right there in the center of everything that's going on. And John has the opportunity, if he wants, to grab the limelight and take center stage. But he didn't. He didn't. What's that about? Well, before I answer that question, let's take a look at John's interrogation and what that looked like. So along come these priests and these Levites. 
John is baptizing. They come up in the crowd and they begin to assault him with questions. The first one of which is in verse 19 when they say, who are you? Who are you? And I think John's, I think John's response is very interesting. He says, and it says John actually, the apostle John records that he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the long-awaited, long-expected Savior and rescuer and deliverer of the people of Israel. And what I found interesting about that is that there's nothing recorded in the text that says that the Levites and priests said anything about him being the Messiah. And so what struck me about that is John wants to make sure right here at the very outset that the people understand something. He is not the one that they are looking for. He is not the one who's come to save them. He is not the one that they have been longing for through all these centuries. He wants to get that out of the way immediately, and he wants no mistakes about that. But the second question they ask him then is, well, okay, so are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? Now, Elijah was the prophet back from 1 Kings who did not die but was carried away in a chariot of fire, and who was believed to be coming to usher in the end of all time by the Jewish people. And John says, I'm not. I am not. I am not Elijah. And so then they say, okay, well, are you the prophet? Well, who's the prophet? The prophet. Notice it's not a prophet, but are you the prophet? Well, the prophet was mentioned by Moses back in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses foretold of a day and a time when a prophet just like himself would once again come to the nation of Israel. So for all of this time, over all of these hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews have been waiting. They've been waiting for Messiah. They've been waiting for Elijah. They've been waiting for the prophet. They've been waiting for somebody to come along and to rescue them out of all their troubles. And in each case, John says, nope, not me, not me. So then you can imagine at this point that the priests and the Levites have got to be a little frustrated you know, they, they had a job to do. They had answers to give back home in Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, this was not a small journey, okay? These guys, this group of priests and Levites had traveled, traveled 33 kilometers, which is 53 miles. Now, for some of us, we do that in a day without even thinking about it. Back then, it wasn't so easy. You had to walk. You had to walk. And it probably was a two, maybe even greater amount of day journey, depending on how aggressive they wanted to be, how good a shape they were in, what the weather was like, and all this terrain. So they've come a long way. They are very likely tired. They're the the lackeys of the Pharisees, and they're trying to just get an answer. And this guy keeps saying, nope, nope, nope. And so they finally say, "Well, well, okay, well then who are you? What do you say about yourself? You can almost hear the exasperation in their voice. They say, hey, we need answers. So, before we answer that question, 
Before we answer that question, I want to go back to the question I asked a little bit ago. John had every opportunity to grab the limelight. He had every opportunity to take it all for himself, but he didn't. Why not? Because for John, for John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the miracle child, for John, it, it was not. It never would be about himself. It was never about him. He didn't want the limelight. Remember, he had been sent by God for a specific purpose. Back in verse 7, back in verse 7 of John 1, it says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He didn't want to take the light, he wanted to bear witness to the light. He was not the light, verse 8. But he came to bear witness about the light. So in answer to their question, to these exasperated, frustrated priests and Levites, when they say, who are you? I mean, come on, what do you say about yourself? Say something. And John's response is, I'm just a voice. I'm just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And this barren, dark, lost place. I'm just a voice. Just a voice. No big title. No big resume. No lights. No name tag. No nothing. He says, I'm just a voice. And I'm here to make straight I am here to make straight the way of the Lord. I am here to prepare the way of the Lord. I am the construction crew for the coming Messiah. I am here to fill in the potholes. I am here to straighten the curves. I am here to take down the mountains and to make a clear path for him to come. Isaiah 35 actually makes reference to a highway for our God. John is here to build a highway for the Messiah to come into the hearts of people who are lost in their sin. A clear path for the Savior of the world who at this point now John has finally come to know is Jesus of Nazareth. And he did this. He did this voice of one crying out in the wilderness by calling men and women to repentance, by calling them to turn their hearts to God, to prepare themselves to receive the salvation of God that his father Zechariah had prophesied about at his birth. So then they say, well, then, then why are you baptizing? You're a nobody. You're just a voice. See, they didn't have the TV show back then. So he's just, he's like, I'm just a voice. So they so then why are you baptizing? You have no authority. See, not only did he not have any authority, but he did this in an extremely unusual manner. You see, when the Jews did baptism, they self-administered baptism. They baptized themselves. So for John to insert himself and to be plunging these people into the river, they thought, who is this guy and by what authority is he doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, to just skip ahead slightly, John tells us why in verse 31. 
He says, I myself did not know him, talking about Jesus. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John said, that's my job. That is my thing. That is what I get to do. I get to reveal Jesus. See, folks, that's what it ought to be about for us, too. Just like John, our ministry is not about us. Now, I'm imagining that many of you in this room are involved in ministry of one kind or another. And the word ministry just means service. It just means serving other people. But I'm imagining that many of you are involved in all kinds of different capacities of ministry, of serving, of caring for people. And here's the bottom line. Just like John, we must remember it is not about us. It is about Jesus. It is not about what we can accomplish. It's about what He can accomplish in those people through our surrendered vessel. This was John's mission and purpose, and it ought to be ours. And that is this, to prepare the way for, to bear witness to, and to reveal to the world the one who had come to rescue us from our sins. And that's exactly what John did. So it says there in verse 29 that the next day, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He saw Jesus coming toward him and he begins to testify. And we're going to see three things that John testifies about Jesus. This is his testimony. First and foremost, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First of all, look. Don't look at me. Look at Him. Don't look at me. Look at Him. And that's what all of us should be doing. Don't look at me. Look at Him. Behold Him. He's the one. Well, who is He? He's the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God, and this is a reference that all of them, especially those priests and Levites, should understand. Because they were used to this system, this burdensome system of sacrifices and offerings of just tremendous and unbelievable amounts of blood. All through the years as they sacrificed animal after animal after animal, And John is saying, this is not a lamb, this is the lamb. This is the lamb of God. The one who has come to be the perfect, spotless, blameless sacrifice. The one whose blood will not only get cover over our sins, but as it says in Hebrews 9.14, will cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we might serve the true and living God. John said, this is the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. And the Greek language here is very beautiful because it brings together two ideas. And that is this idea of bearing. So in other words, this Lamb, just like that imagery in the Old Testament, when the priest would lay his hands on the animal, it was transferring the sins of the priest and the sins of the nation onto that animal, and that animal bore those sins. But also, it combines with it the idea to lift up and to carry away. 
Praise the Lord. The Lamb of God has come, who's not only going to bear, but he's going to lift it up and he's going to take it away. He's going to take it off of us. Oh my gosh, isn't that a wonderful thing to be thankful for this morning? The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. Now, John is proclaiming that this is what is going to happen, but this is his first testimony. This is his first proclamation. This is the one. This is the one who's come to take away the sin of the world. And part of the reason this was confusing for the Jewish people is that that isn't what they were expecting. They were expecting a knight in shining armor to come in and to deliver them from Roman oppression. But what John knew through the power of the Holy Spirit was what these people needed more than anything was to be saved from their sins. And that this man, that this man was the Lamb of God indeed and he would take away those sins. But second of all, second of all, John says in verse 33, he says, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, John had been given a sign. He says that in this passage. He says, he says, the one who sent me gave me a sign, and he told me that the one upon whom I saw the Spirit of God descend and remain, he's the guy. He's the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. And John had seen that in an earlier instance when John had baptized Jesus in the Jordan. John had seen the Spirit of God descend from heaven, come down upon Jesus and rest on him and remain on him. So I believe that when, when John saw Jesus coming, he, he saw the Spirit of God remaining on this Lamb who had come. But he says... Not only is this the guy, but he's going to baptize you with the power of the Spirit. He says, me? I've just been baptizing with water. I've just been dunking you in the river. But this one, this one is going to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is going to change everything for us. That is going to change everything for us. If we think about the idea of baptism, what is baptism? Well, we've seen it up here. Uh, at the front of the, at the back of this stage in the baptismal. We have seen it on the screen with John there in the river, immersing people. It means that. It means to immerse. It means to plunge into or to identify with. And what John is saying is that when, when Messiah comes, he's not going to baptize you with water. He is going to immerse you into and plunge you into the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we know, dear friends, as we know from Acts 2 forward, that changes the whole game. These men about whom we're going to read who were cowering in the upper room after Jesus' death, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out and turned the world upside down. And dear friends, that is supposed to be happening today in and through us as well. So lastly, John's last testimony, he says in verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is God himself. Remember back in verse 1, John 
Jesus' best friend, John, said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John was saying, This is the eternal Son of the eternal Father, the one who has come to rescue us from all of our sins. And he says, This is Him. This is indeed God in the flesh, as he said, as the apostle said in verse 14. So to summarize, the testimony of John is this. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And secondly, Jesus is the one who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And third, Jesus is the Son of God. So finally, where does that leave us this morning? Where does that leave us? What about us? So here John has been getting pelted with questions. Now I ask you a question. What about you? What about you? What about me? Well, to put it simply like John, this life is not about us. It's not about the titles. It's not about the possessions. It's not about the experiences. It's not about the relationships. This life is about Jesus. There are a lot of trappings and a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that are involved in this whole kingdom of God thing. But let's be clear about one thing. At the end of the day, it is all about Jesus. And like John we are to testify and we are to bear witness to Jesus that He is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the Lamb, that He is the one who will baptize with the Spirit. And our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, just like John's, should be pointing people to Jesus. Look at Him. Behold Him. If you haven't already, meet Him. Oh, and by the way, if you've met Him, get to know Him. And if you know Him, definitely trust Him. Let's look at one verse out of the book of John here for a moment. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has been appearing and Jesus has been talking with and teaching His disciples about the kingdom of God that is coming. And they're like, okay, is it, is it now? Is it right? Can we, can we do it now, Jesus? Can we do it now? We'd love to do it right now. And Jesus says in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth. And I want you to notice something about this verse and Jesus' statement to his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This is not an optional thing. He says, you will, you will be my witnesses. Where? Now notice the and, and, and of Jesus' statement in Jerusalem and Samaria. I'm sorry, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church must 
be involved in all four of those circles at all time. It's not a this, then a that, maybe some of this and some of that. No, it's an and, and, and. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and in our world. That's God's call upon our life. As a matter of fact, we won't turn to it, but in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So whatever your ministry is, whether you're serving the children, whether you're doing men's ministry, women's ministry, whether you're going to the prison, doesn't matter what it is. Our ministry is making disciples. Our ministry is seeing other people come to faith in and then learn to trust in and follow Jesus Christ and to become like Him. That's what this whole gig is all about. And when John says, or when Matthew records Jesus saying, go therefore, the actual Greek structure is it as you're going. So it's not just a command to go. His point is, hey, by the way, you're going to be going somewhere. So as you go, make disciples. So whether you're ministering in your home, or whether you're ministering at school, or you're ministering in the workplace, or you're ministering wherever you're ministering, as you go, whoever you are, Whatever you do, let's make disciples of Jesus. Let's see people baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's see people learn and begin to follow the teachings of Jesus, the Lamb of God who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and who is the Son of the living God. John prayed in the, or Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, Father, as you have sent me, so I have sent them. In John 20, when Jesus encounters the disciples in the upper room, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. And that is a mission that will not be complete until the day that Jesus Christ comes. Dear friend, whomever you are, wherever you are, let's make disciples of Jesus. Let's share the testimony. Let's share the story of what God has done. If you did the small group study this week, Pastor Steve asked you, have you ever written out your testimony? Have you ever shared your testimony? If you haven't, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's a great opportunity. Testify. Be like Peter And John, in the book of Acts, when they said, we cannot do anything but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We can't stop ourselves. May the Spirit of God release that river and that torrent in us, here in this area and across the world for His glory. So this morning, two questions. Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Because if you haven't, we would like to introduce you to him. He is the savior of the world. He is God's own son. And he came for you. But if you've met Jesus this morning, I just ask you, are we we witnessing? Are we testifying? Is it our sole purpose that our words, our thoughts, and our deeds 
would ultimately lead others to see Jesus, to meet him, know him, and trust him.